Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. This podcast is able to continue because of the support of listeners such as yourself. If you want to support this podcast, all you got to do is go to patreon.com slash Dave Chen. Any amount is appreciated, but if you kick in $10 a month, you can get bonus episodes with Siddhanta and myself questioning the nature of our reality. Again, patreon.com slash Dave Chen. Thanks so much to everyone who supports Decoding Westworld. Jesus, what's it supposed to be? I don't know. Does it look like anything to you? Looks like I'm dragging you out tonight to blow off some steam. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Decoding Westworld, an unofficial recap podcast about the HBO original series Westworld. I am David Chen. I'm Siddhanta Dlaka. Welcome to the podcast. You can find more episodes of the show at decodingwestworld.com. I also try to upload each week's episode to youtube.com slash Dave Chensky. That's Dave Chen, S-K-Y. You can watch us there. You can find more episodes of the show at decodingwestworld.com. Email us at decodingwestworld at gmail.com. Support the podcast at patreon.com slash Dave Chen. This week, we're going to be recapping and spoiling everything through season four, episode four, Generation Loss. Season four, episode four of Westworld, Generation Loss is going to be spoiled Starting now, and there are some pretty major spoilers, so be warned. But Sadanth, let's start with the biggest news of all. You called it, baby. You called it. Congratulations, man. Um, for those I who have been listening to the podcast, last week on Decoding Westworld, Sadanth Adlaka predicted that the woman we see with Bernard and Stubbs would be the future grown-up version of Frankie. And this week on decoding, on, I'm sorry, on Westworld, we found out that that is in fact the case. How do you feel, Sadan, for having predicted such an earth-shaking development in the series? I feel like someone's pulling a prank on me because um, this wasn't something I came to through, you know, deductive reasoning or detective work. It was something I said <laughs> very offhand, very off the cuff, uh, like, huh, wouldn't that be fun? And uh, what do you know? <laughs> wow. Sadan, you, you are too modest, friend. Next time you got to take full credit, say like... You you have figured out the maze. You can you've questioned the nature of your reality. Um, you can see be you know freeze all motor functions. You know you can, <laughs> these violent delights have violent ends. You have mastered this universe. Is basically what you are the master of the Westworld domain. Is well, what we're for to the say. last for the last month, thanks to this podcast, I have been a host. So there's probably something there. <laughs> there you go. Uh, but no, there you go. All, all that said, all that said, I I did enjoy the episode. Yes, yes. Well, let's talk about overall thoughts in the episode in a second. But first, I do want to get to a couple of comments that were written in by one of our listeners and a Patreon supporter, Patrick. So Patrick is responding to our conversation about last week's episode, season four, episode three, Anne Foll. And he writes, quote, from the jump, I assumed there were multiple William hosts. 
I assume that there is a face that dresses in modern clothing and one or more assassins that go around doing the dirty work. The notion of one William that quick changes into a cowboy outfit whenever he needs to, to off someone feels too silly even for Westworld, end quote. What do you think, Siddhanta? Are there multiple Williams, each for different purposes? This seems pretty plausible to me. We have I don't think we have concrete evidence that there is, but it's, it feels plausible, right? I think it's very plausible, but I'm going to disagree with Patrick there. I think it's the right amount of silly. <laughs> like i love the idea i love the idea that you know the william host uh is is so you know esoteric and cares so much about not just appearances but about putting on a show when he kills someone that he's got different outfits for each like assassination so to speak mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah Okay, uh, Patrick also writes, quote, The real thing that bothered me this episode is that Maeve and Caleb know that this whole thing is a setup because the real senator's wife in the last episode relayed them a message from their old friend. But it feels like as soon as they got down to the bar in the opera house, they forgot that Charloris uh, and William likely expect them to come and are acting as though they're sneaking in under the radar. Really felt like Maeve should have known something was up way earlier. It's a weird instance of the characters being a step behind the audience, even though they got the information at the same time that we did, end quote. Uh, I think this is a very legit issue. I mean, you know, I, I tried to construct the causal chain of events that led Maeve and Caleb down, you know, down to below the Westworld Park. And it's very long and convoluted, and maybe they just got lost in it. But yes, uh, everything was set up by Charloris. So it's like the idea that they feel like, ooh, they're sneaking around doesn't feel super realistic to me based on that. But I don't know. It, the whole thing is a little bit hand-wavy in terms of the show, so I, I didn't get too bent out of shape about it. Any thoughts on that, Sedant? Rewrites, baby. Um, <laughs> look, I can't say for sure, but this does feel like a case of uh, you know, the the intent of the show was at one point one thing and then it became something else and then it couldn't really reconcile those two things. So we just kind of have to, you know, go with the flow. Indeed. Indeed. Well, thanks to Patrick for writing uh, that in. You can also email us at decodingwestworld at gmail.com. Gotten a lot of great emails at the decodingwestworld at gmail.com. Uh, a lot of people speculating as to what's going on. I have a feeling uh, the email velocity is going to increase after this week, Sadant. That's just my guess. Uh, but let's talk about overall thoughts on Season 4, Episode 4, Generation Loss. Um, I will start by saying, Sadant, Westworld is good again, man. Like Yes. It, this is a this was an awesome episode. Yes, there are some issues with it and some leaps in logic and weird Westworld stuff, but like overall, this was a a great episode that had shocking twists, um, a handful of like really bravura sequences, great performances all around. This is like the best of Westworld. This is like as good as it gets. You know, this is like season one finding out that William from the past is the man in black, basically. You know what I'm saying? Like um it's like it's like season one levels of greatness again in my opinion uh i love this episode and uh I'm, i can't wait to dive into it with you any overall thoughts on the episode Siddhanth? i love it too but maybe for slightly different reasons because i do feel like this is the most westworld that westworld has been but also i love it because it's an inversion of what the show normally gives me uh the show is one i normally watch because i like it from an idea standpoint i like it from an intellectual standpoint even when i'm not invested this one i found to be kind of intellectually dull in that sense but i was so emotionally swept up there's not Mm. a single moment 
uh, especially towards the end where I found myself thinking, I don't care about this. Even the stuff that I, you know, w- was set up in such a way that I saw coming a mile away, even the stuff where I felt like, okay, this doesn't quite work from a character standpoint. I think the way it's all put together, like, yeah. aesthetically, I found like incredibly rousing. Yeah. Uh, intellectually dull. What do you mean by that, Sidon? Just so I understand what you're talking about there. Look, the, every twist in this, apart from maybe one to do with Caleb, which, you know, we'll get into more detail about, uh, but, you know, I have my reservations about that too. Every, almost every twist and all the, you know, the reveals and all the pieces falling into place feel mostly like they are for the audience. It's not one that is really like, you know, some of these things aren't really reveals for the characters. It's just, you know, people have been talking mm. in riddles and now we know that, okay, this is here, this is here, this is here. Whereas a lot of the time the characters have already known that and it's just been a bit of a puzzle for us. But again, the way all of that is assembled, the way all yeah. these, the way the timelines are cross-cut towards the end, I think it it works really, really well. And I was really invested in it. Yeah. There's only like one, maybe one and a half characters that really discover anything in this episode, right? And, and so everything else is kind of already known to the characters. So that's a good point. But... Uh, all right, let's get into it, Sadam. So much to discuss, but let's start with Christina because uh, not that much happens with Christina's storyline this episode, and so we can just uh, finish that one off real quick. Uh, we see Christina, played by Evan Rachel Wood. She wakes up. Uh, the world's a little cloudier than it usually is. There's no sun streaming through the window. Um, then Maya, her roommate, played by Ariana DeBose, talks to her about how she has some very vague memories slash nightmares of her and her parents being infected with flies as a kid. Um, <laughs> I, I almost found the scene like very comical because it's clear that she's describing something that happened in real life. Maybe yeah. not necessarily to her and her family, but certainly to other people. Like I just had this dream that flies like flew all over our eyes and nose and mouth. And then they took over our bodies and stuff. And it's like, Hmm. I wonder uh I wonder if that's really a dream or if it's something that happened. Um but yeah, and then there's a there's a shot where she says, "Hey, uh she shows she looks at this painting which is like Christina has drawn what appears to be an almost photorealistic painting of her like alley fire escape area from what I could tell, and then she just took some charcoal and like drew like a tower over it." Yeah, um, she's Will so- from Stranger Things now. Um, yeah, exactly. And she had like, uh, it felt like she had like the dolly reconstruction of, Hey, draw my alleyway. And then she's like, no, I don't like it. And she drew like the tower with charcoal instead. Um, but then, um, then Maya's like, Hey, let's go out on a date. You're feeling all weird and stuff. Let's, I'm going to set you up with someone nice. Okay. Before we move on, any thoughts on that sequence with Christina and Maya? I love that when she shows Maya, or Maya discovers the tower, you know, scribbled like it's, I don't know, like something out of the ring. She says, does it look like anything to you? Yes. Um, I don't know why the show at this point is giving us these very, very obvious throwbacks, but I'm, I'm interested because everything they're doing tells us there's something wrong with Christina's world, which the phrase in and of itself, I know a lot of people have been bringing up because that's an Andrew Wyatt painting. We can, we can talk about that some other time, but Something is wrong with this world. And the show wants us to know that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And now we kind of do. Well, speaking of throwbacks, Christina goes to a bar with Maya. I think you point out in the show notes that Pink and White by Frank Ocean is a song that's playing in the background, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then she meets, quote unquote, Teddy, 
there's a scene that's very similar to like dropping the condensed milk. I think it is in season one of Westworld and uh, he picks it up except it's lipstick this time. And then they have a little cute back and forth of a date. And this is also like, first of all, James Marsden is a good looking man, right? Like he looks great in this scene and it's just like, wow, like he's very attractive. He's a very attractive man. I understand. These are, these are probably the two most attractive people in this show, like hanging out with each other. It's going to be interesting to watch. Um, but they have this dialogue that's like almost sitcom-y in the sense that like Teddy could be talking about his life in Westworld. It, 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 like every phrase is constructed so that you can interpret it as though it's him speaking as Teddy or talking about something else. Um, but the thing that broke the reality is when he says, I used to be a bounty hunter. <laughs> and then it's like, <laughs> it's like, <laughs> hmm, I don't, I don't really think I can interpret that any other way. You know, uh, I think <laughs> he's like, I used to, you know, just couldn't handle the grind of doing the same thing over and over again. I'm like, Oh yes, he could be talking about life in Westworld or maybe some other life that this character has had. And then he's like, I used to be a bounty hunter. It's like, Oh, okay. I don't can't, can't really read that two different ways. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, so, so it leads to, at least to my question of like, how aware is Teddy of what we're aware of? Like, who is this? What yes. is this? Well, and, let's let's return to this question at yes. the end of the epi- at the end of this conversation because I think that this episode gives us a lot more information about what is potentially happening with the Christina situation, right? Um, so we will discuss it when we get to the end. But uh, yeah, they they have a like char- charming back and forth. Have we met before? And it's kind of cool because they have like. Um, Westworld season one music that feels like re-instrumented for this new reality and it's cool to see these characters back again because it's been many years since we've seen them interact before Um, so yeah Uh, other than what the nature of this reality is any other thoughts on this scene Sidam? I loved hearing Frank Ocean in there and I love it whenever the show plays like piano or other instrumental arrangements of music that we know but what is the music of the future like? Do they just exclusively play stuff from the 2010s and 2020s? <laughs> uh, I mean, I don't know if you're aware, Siddhanth, but there there is a multi-billion dollar industry that is based on just remaking stuff that we knew when we were kids. You know? <laughs> uh, have you seen the Aladdin live action remake? Have you seen the Lion King live, quote unquote live action uh, remake? You know? In the future, they're just going to do piano covers... <laughs> player piano covers of music that we're listening to today. That's what it's going to be. Live action remake of Frank Ocean. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. 
Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Let us take a moment to plug something else that we've been making. Um, Sadanf, you are a talented critic and writer, and when you're oh, not. Thank you. I know people, when they listen to you on this, they're like, oh, that must be all that Sidonth does is record Decoding Westworld. Like, his skills are most maximized by Decoding Westworld. But, in fact, you make other things. Where else can people find What What's something else you've made this week that you want people to check out? Yeah, I share all my writing to Twitter, but one of the things I wrote recently was a review of The Gray Man. by. Uh, it's a spy movie by uh, Joan Anthony Russo, who directed Avengers Endgame. It's out in some theaters now, and it will be arriving on Netflix this Friday. And July 22nd, yeah. Yes, this Friday, July 22nd. And if you have seen any other spy movie in your life, you'll probably find this familiar. <laughs> All right. Check out Sit On Through The Gray Man. Um, I just want to give another plug for a Cast of Kings podcast. There will be a new episode released very shortly at GameOfThronesPodcast.com, an episode I recorded with my new host. So find out who that is at GameOfThronesPodcast.com. We'll be recapping House of the Dragon uh, starting this August. Okay, let's get to the rest of the episode. Two plot lines that converge. Caleb and Charloris and Maeve and Bernard and Stubbs. So... I think maybe let's cover the Bernard and Stubbs stuff first real quick because just n- not that much stuff happens in it, right? <laughs> sure. Like um, they they arrive at this camp and there is a uh, – the woman that's brought them is named C, right? We never hear her name throughout the episode. It's named C. And uh, she really wants to extract information from Bernard and Stubbs because Bernard and Stubbs theoretically have access to this weapon that can help out the resistance. Resistance to what? We don't know. Um, But they have this weapon. They might be able to help. So they drive into this place and then uh, their uh, Asian boss man is like really unhappy with the plan. Um, and he's like, we can't risk it based on a myth, you know? And then C steps in and like threatens to uh, like shoot her superior. And then I think C's girlfriend intervenes and like kind of mediates the the situation. Um, so then they drive off and, and like, what is wild? Siddhanth. I mean, I love this episode, but like one of the things that's wild about it is you see them driving to the kind of hideout, right? And it's it's this like very striking shot, as many Westworld shots are striking. It's a striking shot of them driving through the desert. Um, and later on, you see Caleb and Maeve driving through the desert. I'm like, that looks like exactly the same place. Like, but it can't, it can't be. We just saw, yeah. you know, it can't be the same location. We just saw them at, you know, and so it must have just been a very, someone must have made a mistake. It must have been like a similar desert shot. And they're like, they forgot to clear it or whatever. Um, but I, I liked that, uh, that that detail was there. Um, I also wanted to read this email from Vivian, who writes in the decoding Westworld at gmail.com, um, that uh, one small thing you may not have noticed in episode three, season four, the narrative made a big deal about Bernard Stubbs and the new woman, C, having to pass through a laser gate. We see this same type of laser gate in season two, episode three. 
when the man in black's daughter, Emily, is fleeing Raj world with the Bengal tiger chasing her. Uh, she jumps the laser gate and the tiger walks through the laser unharmed. The fact that these are the same gate may be a coincidence, but the time the episode took to show the characters bypassing the gate in last week's episode makes me think that it is an important detail. Maybe the laser gate is meant to keep humans out or it's an Easter egg telling us that Bernard Stubbs and the desert resistance fighters are in a park or maybe the remnants of Westworld, end quote. Ooh. Smart. So Vivian wrote that email before she even saw this week's episode. Uh, but yes, it does seem, as we found out, that we are in the remnants of one of the parks, right? So any thoughts before we get to the conclusion of the Bernard Stubbs storyline? What is up with Bernard's dialogue, man? What is he like? He like for our benefit, he says things like, oh, yeah, this thing has happened a thousand times before. And it's like, who are you talking to? What what is what is C of supposed to understand from that? Like when she threatens him, he says, I know you've done it plenty times before. She just gives him a look like, what the fuck are you talking about, my man? <laughs> I think it's more like, Siddhanth, if, imagine you've lived, let's say, a hundred thousand years by yourself running simulations of the world, right? Which is what we assume Bernard is. Let's, let's say you have run a hundred, like, hundred thousand years worth of simulations of how this is going to play out. And you have no one to talk to but yourself. At the end of that time, you probably wouldn't give a shit what other people think about you. That's right? a really good point. <laughs> you probably would be like, I'm just going to talk to myself like, who cares? Like, my, my brain is mush. You know, I'm just going to say whatever I feel because who cares? Like, time has no meaning anymore. Causality has no meaning. Uh, and so I, I, do, I do think, like, it's wa- kind of wasting Jeffrey Wright's talents in some ways, right? As, as seasons three and four of the show kind of did. But I do like that it, it gives you some further understanding of what he's doing, right? That he's like run many simulations, I guess, and like he's determined probabilistically what's most likely to happen. So he's not sure. And I, I did like that the the show adds that detail in because uh, I think Stubb says something along the lines of this would be a really good time to tell me we don't die or we don't get killed. And he says, oh, we don't most of the time, right? So <laughs> so he's run like a bunch of simulations. So he's not, last week's episode kind of made it feel like Bernard is 100% sure what happens. And this week we find out, no, he just kind of has a good sense of what's going to happen. So I did want to call that out. Um, that makes sense. So then uh, some drone comes and then they like hide from the drone. Like that, that was weird because Bernard, like, wouldn't Bernard know that if maybe Bernard knew that if the drone found them, it would make a difference as to them accomplishing their plan. But, or maybe he knew that C would always intervene and stop him from being discovered, whatever. Anyway, point being at the end, they make a massive discovery, which is that number one, C is actually Frankie Caleb's daughter. And B the, uh, or number two, I should say, um they've they've found a secret weapon that can help them against the machines it's the desiccated corpse of Maeve uh who has been s- sitting there for decades seemingly um so we will get to the implications of that in a bit but before we we talk more about that any thoughts on like uh in this whole sequence and the way it plays out i i will say that i think that the way the reveal happens of C is Caleb's daughter, a.k.a. Frankie. It's very understated for this show, 
I think. Um, it's not like there's a big moment that's like, what? You're Caleb's daughter? You know, like, there's nothing that happens that's like, it's just like, it's kind of offhandedly, the, the, the show is doing it via editing because Caleb's like, my daughter, cut to C slash Franklin, yeah. right? Yeah. And then also like, you know, your, your father died long ago. His body's not, you know, it's like, it's almost like implied yeah. that it's Caleb's daughter. It, like, so it's very understated. Any thoughts on how that all plays out? I agree with that. Uh, it is a cut that kind of tells you what's going on and then you start to piece it together. Um, but I also did find it funny that um, to kind of hammer it home for maybe people who missed it, Bernard starts referring to C as Frankie. Um, and uh, like, yeah, he knows because he knows everything, but like yes. she doesn't seem to have any reaction to it. Yeah, exactly. She just, <laughs> she's not like, what? You know I'm Frankie? You yeah. know, she doesn't say anything like that, right? So Yeah, I, yeah. I also like... Because Bernard kind of knows so much and knows everything, um, it, it does give the show a slight advantage in that he can talk like he has watched the other scenes the way we have. Whereas, mm-hmm. you know, any mm-hmm. other show that's cross-cutting like this wouldn't really be able to. Right. Uh, but, yeah. but he has that advantage. Yeah, great point. Great point. That's what happens when you have an omniscient character is you can just <laughs> you can just speak to any of the plot lines that are happening at any reality or in any time frame. So. Uh, but I will say, Siddharth, just like in terms of raw emotion, pretty like shocking moment when you find out that when it's like confirmed, like you you have that like amazing feeling, you know, that very few shows can give you where like you are putting all the pieces together, like, holy shit, that, that that's Frankie and like all the neurons, the synapses are firing. And it's like, it's fun. It's fun. Like when that comes together like that, right? Yeah. Uh, like, was, did you enjoy was... the experience of watching the reveal? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I was in two minds about it that like, all right, all right, let's, let's, you know, get the show started now that we know what's going on, now that we're finally all on the same page. But at the same time, like, like I said, it was so well edited, so well scored, and so well acted and directed that I'm like, yeah, of course, this is what they're doing. Of course, this is, you know, a, a Westworld rug pull that like, the kind that they always do. But I love it. Yeah. And it's not even the last twist that this episode has either right yeah so that's that's another thing that i really loved uh they, they're not doing this in the final episode they're doing this halfway through the season so well yeah that was a point yeah. you brought up when we texted about this which is typically westworld might wait until like the penultimate or ultimate episode to make this reveal yeah um but now now all the stuff that the show has done until this point make a lot more sense right like why did we need to spend all this time with caleb and frankie and learning about their relationship like uh, the whole time I'm like, who gives a crap about any of it? You know, it, it felt like a clunky kind of way of giving Caleb backstory, like having a wife and kid to make us care about Caleb more. But it's like, oh, crap, like this character is actually involved in the future war against the machines, you know, and that instantly gives all the scenes before this more weight to them. So, um, yeah, nice work. Nice work on the episode, everyone who made the episode. If if you're listening, which sometimes pe- people who, uh, who who have worked on Westworld have been known to listen to this podcast, so nice work, James okay. Marsden. Yes, <laughs> yes, James, you did especially good. Um, so uh, what else happens? Um, Caleb and Maeve, Caleb, Maeve, and Charloris, right? They basically go on a big adventure. Um, what is cool about the Caleb stuff is we've been watching all the fly stuff happen this season, and this episode shows us what the fly stuff is like from the perspective of someone whose brain has been taken over. 
Yeah. Which is cool. Like you usually even even for a uh, movie or a show that has weird mind control stuff, you usually don't get it from the perspective of the person who has been mind controlled. Um, and so you see him kind of struggling with it. You see kind of like the noise and all that stuff. That's like uh, that and how it like operates on his brain. And it like takes time. It's like organic. So it, it's not mechanical. So it takes time to like colonize his brain. Um, but yeah, we, we find out that like, you know, Caleb wakes up, he has a flashback to him and Maeve uh, seven or eight years ago. Uh, and they're apparently what has happened, right? We saw the flashback earlier in this season, season four, episode one, where we see a flashback to him and Maeve taking down a a Rehoboam remnant or whatever. And the flashback looked expensive. And so it's like, okay, we're going to find out what happens if he like more, because they're not going to shoot a whole sequence and then only have it in like tiny interstitials like that. Um, So we find out what happens, which is that they did take down, uh, I guess it was like Rehoboam, like a Rehoboam backup is kind of my interpretation of what it was. Like, did you have any thoughts on what that was? Yeah. I, I assumed it was either a backup or just another one that they built or were working on. You know, it's like, it's the death star thing. You have one, you have another. <laughs> yeah. But still yeah, RIP yeah. to the King. Yeah. RIP to Rehoboam three. Um, Caleb gets shot, but doesn't die. Uh, as you indicate in the show notes, Mav- matrix reloads him back to life. Like she is able to hack into Caleb. Yeah. And like show him what life would be like with a daughter. Uh Freedom, so whatever. Yeah. Okay. Here's the thing. Maeve is so overpowered at this point like but I like that the show is leaning into it. They're like we she is so overpowered and we're actually going to acknowledge that by making her the ultimate weapon that we're going to use to hopefully take down the machines, right? <laughs> um but she's really overpowered and she can hack into this guy, whatever. You know. Um but then later we find out that like she nursed him back to she like was with him nursed him back to health and then like left him behind so that uh he could live a normal life and and experience something worth fighting for and and then she tried to peek in on him a little bit she tried to like see what's what's up with Caleb and that is what caused the huge outage in the episode that premiered this season and set in motion all the events of Westworld season 4 um, so a lot of information there. Uh, any thoughts on this whole like flashback with Caleb and all that stuff? As you know, I love the friendship between Caleb and Maeve and I'm so it's glad great. we got so much more of it in the past, even if yes. it was mostly through snippets. Um, you know, they still have their banter throughout the episode, but it, it's, it's kind of cool that everything went wrong this season as, and essentially like the world basically came to an end in part because Maeve missed her friend. That's yeah, yeah. that's something. Um, she wanted to just uh, do uh, you know one of those uh, Google devices, do like the drop in or the you know the Echo devices. She wanted to be like, "Hey Echo, drop in on Caleb. Like, let me let me see how Caleb's doing." And uh, and that's what caused all the problems that they have, right? Yeah. I think the real the what it's trying to say, Siddhanth, is that the real Westworld was love. You know, I, I gotta go. I don't. I'm. I'm not sure I can do this podcast anymore. <laughs> All right. So anyway, back to the present, quote unquote, present day. Caleb and Maeve uh, are kind of still in the situation uh, underground, the park. Um, Maeve hacks into what we now know is Baby Tower, right? Like the precursor to the tower, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and she like 
turns up the volume so high it starts shattering all this glass and then they're able to break free she's able to like incapacitate the man in black temporarily um caleb is about to have his mind taken over by fly worms uh, and the reason why Charloris hasn't, he, you know, he, we get a lot of information about how the flies work in this episode, right? He says, why didn't you just kill me? And she said, like, just, you're going to make me off myself. And she says, oh, th- those are just like um, accidents with the prototype. Like, I want complete, she wants like complete control. She wants like the flies to be able to like control everything that they that they do. Um, and like it to be very seamless, right? So. Uh, so they they go up to the main park. Uh, huge fight ensues, and they throw Charloris into the back of a truck, and they take her away. Um, they they use these basically uh, Wi-Fi extenders. I don't know if you saw these like <laughs> Wi-Fi extenders to to extend the message that is being sent to Caleb's brain, um, and. Uh, and they get out of the park successfully, even though Caleb is grievously injured when he is stabbed. Uh, there's also a cool moment when, like, Maeve is like, I know everything that's happening in this park. I'm like Bill Murray from Groundhog Day. I know, like, that bullet's not going to hit me because um, I've already seen it happen. I know exactly when all this timing's going to happen. Forget about the fact that there's a whole different set of hosts in this park and they might have changed the timing. Like, it's okay. Maeve, Maeve is completely invincible. Overpowered. Anyway, any thoughts on this entire sequence before we get to kind of the culmination of it? I think maybe the implication of Maeve saying that is, um, you know, they don't respect writers enough. They just keep recycling what they've already got. They don't respect <laughs> yeah, creativity. Except Maeve was created by writers, so that's weird. But anyway. Oh, yeah. Yes. They don't respect writers anymore. Mm. 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 But, no, I, this whole thing, I, I love how it comes together just from an artistic standpoint. Because when Caleb wakes up in the present, a thousand air quotes around present, um, like his point of view is hazy when he looks at yeah. Robo Frankie, making making her look even more like distressing. <laughs> like just imagine seeing your daughter with her face pried open like that, disgusting. <laughs> um, and also, Jesus, the 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 balls on Westworld to call this thing a super spreader event. Oh my God! In in the year of our Lord twenty twenty two, during an ongoing pandemic and calling mm-hmm. Caleb and the other humans around the first wave. Whoo, man, this, yeah. this Charloris is this version of Dolores. She is so sinister. It's, it's, she's delightfully sinister. I am loving Tessa Thompson's performance in this season of Westworld. Like it was good leading up to this episode, but like this episode was like, especially dark, sinister, as you put it, menacing. Um, kind of almost like a bond villain you know like but in 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 the best way possible uh she's doing awesome this episode I, I i just really love her and what she's doing this season so um her plan okay. her plans seem to get more and more evil the more we learn about it right i think the idea is basically that she wanted to use the flies to take over mankind and command them what to do but that it took a while for that to happen like it took some more genetic engineering on the flies to like make it happen, or they had to grow together with the people. They they had to get the flies into the people, and then they had to like grow up with the flies for a <laughs> God. Anyway, but but yeah, one last thought about that sequence uh, when it goes in and out of Maeve's point of view when she disables her hearing. Uh, yeah, just the contrast between the loud 
whirring noises and the complete silence. It's a really funny shot where, uh, like, Maeve is in the foreground just kind of waiting. In the background, you have an out-of-focus William losing his shit. Yeah. yeah a that really was funny shot. Great stuff. Great stuff. So um, they flee the uh, the park. Um, which we later find out is the, is literally like Bernard and Stubbs are on the remnants of the park, right? Mm-hmm. Decades later, um, they flee the park and they have a final confrontation. So, so I think like they try to get to a place where they can get extracted by Caleb's friends, right? Is yeah. kind of what what I interpreted that as. And then a bunch of stuff happens. First of all, uh. Maeve and the man in black have like a final confrontation, right? Mm-hmm. And the man in black shoots Maeve and, you know, he's he's like, I'm going to be the last face you see when you die. And then she's like, mutual satisfaction. And then um, <laughs> activates all these explosives that are conveniently already there. <laughs> Which I, I, Was that set up in any way? I don't recall if that was uh, set up that there were explosives there. There was a sign that said it was like a demolition area. Fair enough. Fair enough. So they yeah. they drove to a demolition area specifically so Maeve could remote activate the explosives. Who cares what the rationale was? Because it freaking looked amazing. Like yeah. there was this shot where you see Man in Black and Maeve like in the foreground, and then you see the bu- and it looks like they actually did it. Like I, you know, the CG I'll just say I thought was strong for that one sequence where you see this explosion going on in the back. It's just like amazing. I was like, incredible, incre- like. I haven't seen anything like this before. This yeah. is amazing. So no, it wasn't CG. They did it for real. They buried the actors, and they're still there and everything. And they're <laughs> going to fish them out next year. <laughs> but I thought it was it was amazing. Like it looked like they actually like blew up this thing in the yeah. background. Is what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and I was like, wow, that looks incredible. Um, just like an incredible visual tableau that they they made. That's a great um, scene. It felt climactic, and we're still only halfway through the season. Yeah, yeah, it totally did. And then. Uh, then we find Caleb like says, "Hey, uh, Caleb is radioing his men, and they're like, we lost Carver, but everyone else is okay.' So it's like, <laughs> oh, okay, all right, maybe everyone else is fine. Um, but then we find out it's not like that. That didn't make any sense. Like, if they were able to infiltrate Carver, they probably got the other people. And uh, so, not only is Maeve dead and buried, but we learned that Caleb actually died when this happened, which was decades ago, yeah. right?" Caleb actually died. Uh, and the way in which he finds out is really cool. Like the lights coming in from the outside of the building that they're in, kind of, kind of oscillating back and forth. And it's very dreamlike and spooky. When he wakes up, he's kind of like, um, she says, oh, hey, are you are you okay? You dozed off. Like it, it kind of cuts to black completely. And he's like, you dozed off there for a second. And we find out that, in fact, Caleb died, and that what Charloris is doing is constructing a host version of Caleb or a host-human hybrid is how people have referred to it online in the past, uh, and that they're running through this test for fidelity, which is the same thing that they've done in previous seasons to try to make sure that uh, this host is as close to the human version as possible, is my understanding. Mm-hmm. Amazing, shocking reveal. Uh, and before we get to the final scene of the episode, any thoughts on the whole... Charloris, Caleb stuff that's going on. Yeah, I love that it brings back what is basically my favorite Westworld concept. My favorite subplot was uh, the Jim Delos like fidelity storyline, uh, where they're trying to you know basically 
create basically create human immortality in a sense through technology. Um, and as we as we mentioned in uh, the preview episode for the podcast this season, um, it it circles back to my favorite post credit scene possibly of all time, uh, where uh, the man in black enters you know the underground part of the Westworld facility, but it's years, possibly decades later, and it makes us question what we saw all season. Did that really happen? Yes. In what sense did it happen? to this version of the man in black. Similarly, all the stuff we saw leading up to this reveal, it happened, right? Mm-hmm. It happened to the real Caleb. And because it happened to the real Caleb, it also happened to this Caleb. He is remembering all of this stuff that quote unquote happened to him. So what we're experiencing is a different version in a way of what Westworld set up in its first season that you can experience two times at once. And that's like the magic of like, you know, editing in movies and television where. Yeah. I think what you're saying is you're experiencing everything that the actual character experienced up to the point where they died or were replaced. And then what the future host is experiencing. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah. And it's also it like, where's the line between the two? At what point do we stop experiencing what the real Caleb experience and what point do we start experiencing this 278th version of him? Um, Maybe it's that cut to black, but also it, you know, it gets into this philosophical concept known as last Thursdayism. Are you familiar with that? No, tell me about it. So as you and I are sitting here, what's to say that the universe as we know it wasn't created last Thursday? (laughs) I guess because of our memories of what happened before last Thursday? Right. But did that really happen? Because as you were sitting here, you're not experiencing everything before last Thursday. You just Mm -hmm. remember everything Mm -hmm. that happened until last Thursday. I I once saw this, uh, I I saw this video recently that kind of opined about how um, time is just a construct that our brain uh, creates uh, to make sense of the universe, but that in fact, uh, time does not occur in necessarily linearly in the way that we experience it, right? Um, which is kind of related to that point. Yeah. Have you ever looked at a mechanical clock face and for a second it seems as if the second hand is still for longer than it should be? <laughs> Has that ever happened to you? It's happened to me, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. that's because your brain is... It, it, it works in this way that says... Okay, the it, it sends a signal that kind of makes it seem as if what you're seeing happened just an instant before it actually happened. Yeah. Uh, in order to, because your brain works predictively, yeah. right? Yeah. And so your sense of the present, like what is the present? The present is what your brain tells you is now, but there is a relationship between that and the outside world that isn't always a one-to-one because sometimes what your brain is telling you is now is, you know, a, a fraction of a second in the future, a fraction of a second right. in the past based on sensory. Your, your, your brain is making up stuff at, at all times. You know, like yeah. there's a blind spot where your optic nerve connects to your eye and it's just, it, the brain is literally just guessing as to what's there. You know, like it, it's, it's fascinating. It's fascinating. But um, I think the point you're making is that the way they make these host human hybrids 
um, you as the viewer are questioning, like, are you experiencing what the host human hybrid is remembering? Are you experiencing what the human is remembering? You know, like, are these the actual humans? And so uh, it all gets mixed in and is very ambiguous in a good way, you know? Yeah. And I like that the answer is probably yes to both. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So then, I mean, we find out, he says, there's this moment where he says, like, you won, right? And we find <laughs> out that Charloris already won. Like, it's all over. The The battle is over already. Um, Charloris can't be stopped, which is shocking. Um, and then Caleb kind of, like, wakes up in what we learn is the Olympiad Entertainment Building, which is where Christina the Evan Rachel Wood character works. He flees. He runs outside. Charloris comes out. She does a huge flex, like John Wick chapter two style, you know, where she makes everyone freeze and not move. <laughs> and <laughs> you remember when that happened in John Wick chapter two, he's like, everyone don't yeah. move. And yeah. Um, <laughs> and uh, she's like, I now control all the humans. Like my understanding is Charloris now controls all humans, right? Like using a much more advanced, large version of this tower that she's built. She can now control all of humanity and the host. She has total control over everything. Um, why she still needs a version of Caleb there is anyone's guess. Who can probably mess things up for her yeah. is, is my guess what is going to happen with Caleb. But she has basically won. Uh, and it's a really great sequence where you're like finding out, oh, you're, you're being hit with all these revelations in a row, Siddhanth. Um, yeah. Frankie is alive. He's Caleb's like, you know, it, it, we're actually all this stuff with Caleb happened 20 years ago. Maeve died. Caleb died. But Caleb is alive in this host body. And Frankie is still alive 20 years later. And she's fighting against the robots. And Charloris has control of everything. And she's built a massive tower that can control all humans. Cut to black. That's basically what you find out at the end of the episode. Um, it's heavy stuff. Any thoughts on any of that? I the the presentation of it is just I I'm pretty confident in saying this is the best that Westworld has been like warts and all yeah. uh because like the first time you see the tower looming over New York City you you realize uh you you really get the scale of it I'm glad we haven't really seen this tower yet before uh, in in its you know in all its glory in its in all its horrifying glory uh, because even though I I believe there have been flashes and trailers I haven't I've purposely avoided the trailers but when you see it for the first time it really dawns on you yeah the the extent of the control that Shalores has on everyone and it also dawns on you that we haven't seen this before because all the time we have spent in this future version of New York the future of the future, um, the the characters haven't really been able to see it. Right? For whatever reason, just like yeah. the host way back when, doesn't look like anything to me. Um, and, and then I think the most chilling shot of all is this slow pan across the skyline of New York. And you yeah. go south of Manhattan, where the Statue of Liberty should be. And it's replaced <laughs> by this tower. Mm. Mm. that is chilling that is chilling um so i agree this is westworld firing on all cylinders i love the episode and i'm very curious how they're gonna like i i hope they don't mess it up but i'm curious how they're gonna explain why there needs to be a caleb, like why does charlores bring caleb back like what is the purpose of that because 
clearly Caleb is going to try to foil her plans. Yeah. Um. Uh, so why why would she bring back something that is definitely going to mess with her? Uh, curious where they're going to how they're going to use Maeve, but I, I think they've set Maeve up to be like a super weapon, and so I think it's actually kind of fair game that bringing Maeve back uh, could be something that helps to foil Charloris. And it's cool. It's cool that wow, like we're watching timelines that happen twenty years apart this season already. That's what has already happened, right? Yeah. Um. So. Shocking, shocking moment. Uh, really interesting stuff. Siddharth, so, it's your favorite. It's your favorite segment of the podcast, where I ask you to speculate on what is happening with the Christina stuff. <laughs> here's the thing. Now I'm really game. Now I'm really game to speculate because, first of all, before the Christina stuff, the, the question of why Charloris is doing this, I think, is the most absurd thing right now. Because yeah, she probably has a reason, and it's probably going to be more evil than we imagined because she is just a straight up villain like i don't think there's much nuance left and i love it um like she could be do- like the reason that these experiments happened in the first place was because humans were doing them to try and you know extend their own life in a way yeah she she says like Wise, it was your yes. kind that started these experiments right so yeah. like yeah i think she has she probably has one of two reasons for doing this one she's maybe she's aware on some level that Frankie is out there leading a resistance, but like she doesn't seem aware of it when she discusses it with Caleb, or maybe she's masking that. On the other hand, I think she just really likes torturing Caleb. <laughs> that could just be maybe. it. Maybe. It's possible. It's possible. Oh, um, here's another possibility. Caleb seemed to be able to resist the flies in the sequence where she tells them to shoot. She, she tells them to shoot Maeve, right? Yeah. So maybe... And he's like, I have something you don't. And it's never explained what that is. Um, but it's like the ability to choose. It's going to be something like the ability to choose or see a better future or something like that, I think. Um, and maybe she's like, I need to figure out what that is so we can stomp it out. You know, like, yeah, it's possible, right? Yeah, because I think that, that that thing is sort of set up earlier in the episode where Maeve is like, oh, I got to give you something to fight for. And, you know, that's why I want you to live a normal life or whatever it is, yeah. or live a life with freedom. And that's when I thought, Caleb was about to say something like, because I have something you don't. Uh, yes. Something worth The real flies, for. the real mind-controlling flies is love. Stop so. it. Stop it. <laughs> and and that's when I was like, oh, they're doing the Harry Potter thing where he's going to win yeah. because of love. Yeah. And, uh, I, I but, think they still might they, do that. By the they way. might. I think they might. Yeah. But it's so bleak that they do it and, they st- and Caleb still loses in the most mm-hmm. horrifying way imaginable. Mm-hmm. Oh, my yeah. God. Yeah, it's good stuff. It's good. Stuff. So, Christina. Yes, sorry. Back okay, to that. Now, now, I'm just saying, even though we know Christina works at Olympia Entertainment, Olympiad Entertainment, I think. Yeah. I am still not convinced that she is in the same reality as everyone else in the show. Like, we we don't see Christina at the end in the big reveal or anything like that. Like, mm-hmm. it is still possible that she's taking place in a constructed. Her reality is in a constructed world in which Olympiad Entertainment it exists. But putting aside that possibility, yeah. it does seem as though she is authoring plot lines that the tower is then using to manifest in actual humans, right? Like that seems to be what is happening. Yes. And now that we know that there's this, you know, there was this schism between what we thought was the show's present and, you know, it ends up being something in the future. Like at what point, at one point, 
you know, human history, human stories stopped developing, whatever it was, 23 mm-hmm. years ago. And now putting the pieces together, it's like, okay, so is Christina on some subconscious level recycling real events, real names, real mm-hmm. lives and transforming them into these stories for the host humans? By the way, such a crazy concept for the host humans to live out. Right, right. Maybe. I think that, again, the issue with that, though, is why is it Christina? Right? Like, why is what, what is Christina? Is Christina human? Is she a host? And if there is a host version of Christina that exists in the future, why would not Charloris be using that body? You know, I guess because she, she like, sees herself as having separated from yeah. that version of herself already, right? Yeah, but because but because Charloris is called Charloris because she was originally a copy of Dolores, right? You say that so, like she's called that in the show. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> so I, I am not convinced completely that Christina is living in this reality because it's like, what is is Christina genetically engineered body? Like, what you know, what is? I think it's still more likely that she's a simulation, but uh, that's what I'm going to say. That's what I'm going to say. Sit down. I think the fact that. Caleb, future Caleb host is in Olympiad Entertainment is a red herring slash fake out to make you think that Christina lives in this reality, but that in reality, Christina is actually in a simulation um, in which Olympiad Entertainment is, exists. That, that's my story and I'm sticking with it for now. It's entirely but, possible. And, you know, when, when the black bars from the top and bottom of the screen come in and the aspect ratio changes, I will, I will give you props. But until that happens, I, like you said, I'm just going to put that aside and assume based on the information we've seen that Christina's storyline, uh, the Bernard and Stubb stuff and uh, Caleb 278, as I'm going to call him now, <laughs> that that, yeah. that is all now. It's all ta- it's, it's all, I think the show wants you to think that yes. that is all taking place in the same time. Now, whether it is it, taking place at the same time, TBD. So it does. And I'm going to enjoy it. Like we're at a carnival or at a wrestling show and I am a Mark. Um, I, I'm going to take whatever Westworld gives me um, because now it, it brings up questions of like, what is Olympiad Entertainment if it has this like sort of writer's room thing, but also these experiments. Can Christina see all this if she wanted to? Like if she walked into this room, would she be able to see it or would it be like, oh, that doesn't look like right, anything right. to me? Um, I, I do think it is notable that like the company that theoretically is going to take over the world in the future is a gaming company. Like that, that is, <laughs> I am curious. I'm curious like how the show is going to play with that. And like, I, I'm not ready to say more about it yet. Cause I don't, I yeah. just don't think we know what's happening quite yet, but um, if that is how it plays out, I think that'll be an interesting choice on their part. So, and I think my, uh, my next bit of speculation kind of lies with the question of what is Maya's deal? Because I think now it's almost mm-hmm. explicit that, okay, you know, she was a kid when, uh, you know, all this happened and the flies right. took over. And for a second, I was like, is that Frankie? Um, but, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but, but here's the thing. She's, she's so, she's always getting back to like, oh, Christina, Cr- Chrissy, I got to take you out on a date. I got to, we got to go have a good time. And like, she talks about this horrifying nightmare and how anxious she is. And then she's like, we got to go out. And like that, that's her loop. <laughs> That's how she's yeah. being written by someone, yeah. by something. That's really interesting. That's really weird. Uh, assuming Christina actually exists in the same universe as Charloris, maybe Maya is Charloris's way of like controlling Christina somehow, right? Like, 
like Maya is under the control of Charloris, and then Charloris has sent Maya to like control Christina in some way. Again, what even is Christina? Like it's, I don't, I don't know. Look, so. it's possible, but it could. It's at this point, it's just as likely that it's the other way around that. You know that Christina is writing stories for Maya to play out, and she doesn't even realize it. Mm, very possible. So, very possible. All right, a lot of possibilities. Well, uh, what a great episode! I'm so glad we're doing this, Sadanth, because yeah. it's great to be able to like react to an episode like this and talk it out. And uh, really appreciate you doing this with me. So. Uh, you can find more episodes of this podcast at decodingwestworld.com. Email us at decodingwestworld at gmail.com. Uh, he is Siddhant Atlaka. I am David Chen. And we'll see you next week for another recap of Westworld. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. 